It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm George Papayanis, and this is another in our occasional series talking about culture here at UNESCO. Down in the, one might say, the bowels of the building in the basement in our beautifully appointed uh, radio studio that uh, takes you back to a bygone era. Well, we go very far back sometimes when we talk about world heritage, but that's got a lot of appeal, and sometimes that can be a challenge. Joining me today in talking about culture is Peter DeBrine, who heads up our Sustainable Tourism Program. Peter, it's good to have you with us. Thank you, George. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, the numbers are staggering. 1.2 billion people on the planet on the move uh, every year, and they're crossing borders. Absolutely. That trend is only set to increase. It obviously offers us a lot of opportunities, but there's also challenges. And where does World Heritage figure into their uh, reflections in terms of what they want to do? To what extent does World Heritage uh, end up part of the checklist when they're uh, visiting a country? Clearly, World Heritage sells. It's a it's an iconic brand. People know about it. When you're traveling, it's an indication that whatever you're going to see is going to be very interesting. Most of the iconic tourist destinations in the world right now are World Heritage sites. You know, here I am. I'm, maybe I'm the mayor of this city, and uh, we've just had the World Heritage uh, Committee meeting, and we got the jackpot. We got the we got this golden goose. We have a World Heritage site in our town. And I'm thinking people are going to come, we're going to get all these people here, and it's going to build our economy, and people are going to have jobs, it's going to be good jobs, it's going to be sustainable, because you can't export the jobs from World Heritage. All the jobs are local. I mean, people are going to get to be able to take care of their families. Look, I'm going to build this community, mm. and I want as many of them to come as possible. Mm. So what's wrong with that? Well, obviously there's... Nothing wrong with wanting more tourism, more sustainable tourism. I think the the problematic phrase is as many as possible because in reality, World Heritage Sites, I mean, they have a boundary. There can only be so many people that can fit in a World Heritage Site at one time. I mean, that's that's a fact. Um, I think in terms of sustainability and how we look at World Heritage and sustainable tourism, you know, clearly economic development is part of that. And it's very important that the communities are involved and the communities are benefiting. Um, I think when we have problems is when that isn't happening, when the communities aren't part of that equation. Um, We also, in terms of the convention itself, and one of the obligations is to present and transmit this outstanding universal heritage to all of humanity. So travel is is front and center in that, and how we do that and how that occurs is is going to be very important for the future. There's a narrative there. Absolutely. And for UNESCO, that's one of the most important things in terms of tourism and, and world heritage is that narrative or that storytelling. Because what we don't want to see and, and the trends we do want to reverse are people coming to a destination, coming to a world heritage site, not really spending much time. They're not really knowing anything about it, taking a selfie and leaving. I mean, we want the site to be interpretive properly. We want those stories to be told, those narratives, and not just by the authorities, but by the hotels, by the restaurants. And that's that's the kind of cooperation that we want to see at World Heritage Sites, where you're really enriching the visitor experience and they're learning about World Heritage. I mean, why is Machu Picchu inscribed on the list? Why are the banks of the Seine here in Paris inscribed on the list? There's very clear reasons why. And that's a very interesting story. And that will make your visit better. And the concept of outstanding universal value, I guess, in its interpretation, really is it's about places 
in which we can all find ourselves. We can find something there that speaks to us. But if you're just there for the selfie, you're not going to get that. And you're going to miss potentially, well, not potentially, really, what is the most important part of the visit. And and seeing how these sites relate to other sites, uh, potentially even on the list. Um, I was thinking uh, earlier today about, about the Parthenon in Athens on the Acropolis and what that reflects in terms of, you know, people's concepts of a, of a early democracy. Uh, and then also on the list, 3,000 or more miles away is Independence Hall in Philadelphia, which is somewhat a manifestation of that early thinking into what has been an ongoing experiment in self-governance. Mm. So these places are themselves unique, but they don't necessarily stand alone. Right, exactly. And that and that's that the concept of it being universal. And I think it's really important, you know, because we also see these different categories of world heritage. There are serial sites that are in different countries, and it's the, a very similar heritage or a natural site like the beach forests here in Europe. So you do, you see that reflection of that heritage, not just in one country. And, and that universal aspect is really something that binds us all together. And, and therefore, even with tourism, you want to not only tell those stories, but have that heritage reflected in other tourism products when you're there, because World Heritage Sites aren't there in isolation. They exist in a larger area. And it's very important in terms of the other goals of UNESCO, in terms of the creative industries and culture for development. Tourism has a very key role in that. And and again, enhancing that visitor experience, making sure that you do stay longer in the World Heritage Site. Perhaps there's a museum, perhaps there's some other attraction that, that's part of that larger destination. And that's really important because often that heritage is reflected in that. It's food, it's dance, it's festivals, all these kinds of things that make it really a different kind of, a, of an experience for a traveler. That's Peter De Bruyne. He is the chief of our sustainable tourism program. I'm George Papianis. I'm uh, uh, head of media services here at UNESCO, and we're coming to you from our uh, UNESCO headquarters in Paris. Peter, we've talked about the visitor experience, but just briefly, I want to reflect on, on what could be the consequences on a community's relationship with a site if it becomes just a supercharged attraction and the potential for lost connections to culture that a cultural aspect that has been part of that community maybe for centuries. No, I think this is probably one of the more critical issues that we're facing with that one point whatever billion people traveling and World Heritage Sites are, are where they're going. And so the numbers are, are, are becoming very, very challenging. And, and, it's, and it's that interaction between the tourist and the residents that's getting a lot of attention right now because it is becoming a problem. And, and it's so complicated on so many levels, and trying to address that is obviously not going to be easy in places that, that are in the news like Barcelona or Venice or Amsterdam, some of the, these European cities, but it, it happens in Chinese sites. It happens in Machu Picchu, the Taj Mahal. And so, so it's really looking at how we manage those sites and this whole concept of visitor management. But involving those residents in those communities, it, it's going to be critical because they're, they're feeling the full force of that. And in that case, they're losing that identity, especially in urban, urban settings where you do have people living. It's not an isolated world heritage site or a church somewhere in, the, in a cultural landscape. So those interactions are, are very important. We're going to have to start solving those problems. 
we've talked about your title. We've talked about that your title is associated with this program, our program on sustainable tourism. You've begun now really to kind of put the ornaments on the tree, so to speak, and give us a real sense of what this of what this means. To what extent, when you're trying to build a sustainable response to to tourism, does the local community play? How how much are you working with? The locals, you know, for us and for this program, I mean, we provide tools and strategies for site managers, as we refer to them, the heritage management authorities to help them better manage tourism. And part of that, part of that, you know, to be successful in that, in in any tool that we develop, you have to engage the community. So you create forums, you create those mechanisms that enable that dialogue to occur. Oftentimes, a good way to do that is to develop a sustainable tourism strategy for the site. And in doing that, you're able to bring in those different stakeholders. And that's something that UNESCO advocates throughout its programs and and through the tools that we develop. For instance, we're developing a tool right now on visitor management to help sites set a baseline for sustainable tourism. Because right now, we don't, I think it's difficult for them to even understand what we mean when we talk about sustainable tourism. And communities are are, are a critical part of that, and they'll be a critical part of that tool. Is there something of like the rules of the road one might say for for visiting a world heritage site that is part of what you're trying to impart on both the visitor and also use the local communities and the site managers to establish some kind of um, of guidance this is critical because you know unesco as an intergovernmental organization we um, our communication if you would and how we outreach is is somewhat limited and this is where it's important to enter into partnerships. For instance, we have a partnership with um, Seaborne Cruise Line. They're the ones that are in contact with the traveler. I mean, we can communicate with them, but, but they're the ones that are actually directly communicating. And influencing that communication is very important. And sustain, you know, bringing sustainability into that is important. Um, because in some ways, we do have to affect tourist behavior. You know, so it's not just going to the site, experiencing the site in a, in a different way, but it's how you behave. And this is another thing that's coming up is tourists behaving badly, and it's happening. And, you know, we all have a role in educating them and making sure that they understand that, that there is a way that you have to, you know, it's, it's a respect, if you would, of the heritage, and, 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 and it's the communities as well. But one of the challenges is all the sites are different. There are religious sites. Um, there's a, a church in the south in the south of France, Albi. It's it's a, it's a a beautiful church, but it's a church, and you know you you want to visit the church because it's inscribed for architecture. It's it's an amazing structure, but when you're there, and this you have to appreciate that you're in a church and behave accordingly, and that happens in many 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 sites, and and UNESCO is is working to provide that kind of guidance to say you know as a tourist that you need to you know you need to have that kind of respect for for that heritage and for where you are at that point in time. I guess if, if anyone is thinking, does Peter get to go to these places? I, you know, I want to kind of clue in on a little secret here. Peter has probably one of the better jobs at UNESCO because he gets to visit World Heritage and 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 have this experience. So of course, we all get that chance if we, if we want to travel and, and put these places uh, as a priority of when we go. But when you do travel, and you do, and you meet with the ministries of tourism or ministries of culture, you meet with site managers, and uh, you're a champion for this, for this important activity, this program that we have, because it is about preserving the sites 
so that they retain their outstanding universal value, so that they are there for generations to come. How do you find the reception when you get there with your message? I think increasingly it's it's been very well appreciated. Our voice is very much needed in this space, you know, because we are somewhat in terms of heritage management, we're not tourism specialists. We're not the tourism industry, and it's a very complicated industry, and it's very economically focused. And so there is a balance between that development and conservation. But for us, our starting point is conservation. I mean, we see tourism as a vehicle for that, that and, and tourism needs to better support that. And we are seeing changes in that, but that hasn't been how it has been in the past. And so it's it's that whole concept of the goose laying the golden eggs. Mm-hmm. That goose needs to be fed. She needs to be taken care of. And, you know, for for that dynamic to continue. And I think that concept people understand, everybody understands. The tourism industry certainly is understanding it more and more, When especially when you're seeing this kind of pushback. Because, again, it's going to take all of us working together to solve these problems. I mean, UNESCO can't do it, but we can help guide it. And I think that's an important point. And, and for us in that very complicated system, I think our voice is only going to become stronger because we have to manage these sites better. There has to be some change happening because, because we are seeing the the conditions deteriorating in some of these areas and quite frankly the systems are are are, are straining under that you know as i said there can only be so many visitors in one place i mean the good news is that we are seeing innovation happening and and, and technology and all of these things are going to play into it there's there's a site for instance in china in dunghuang which is in on the edge of the gobi desert in the gansu province and it's called the magao grottoes and they're these fourth century Buddhist cave paintings, extraordinary. I think it's probably, of all the places I've traveled, it's probably one of the most amazing places on earth. And it's been preserved because of the climate. It's a very dry climate. So these caves, and they were sealed up basically for centuries, and they were rediscovered, I think, in the late 1800s. Um, Obviously, they're they're, um, very fragile. And, you know, Visitation to these caves can be problematic because we exhale carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide has a negative effect on the paint in the caves. And it's very well documented. There's the Dunghuang Academy, which studies it. So it's probably one of the most monitored World Heritage Sites because of that. So they know when uh, the CO2 levels in one of those caves exceeds the amount, and they'll close it. They'll immediately close the cave. But even more what they've done, because they know visitation's increasing, and they built a new airport, and they knew have a new train station, so people are coming in, in much higher numbers. And in order to, to manage that, what you used to be able to do, you should just be able to drive up to the site, get a guide, and go in the caves. And what they've done is they've created this state-of-art visitor center. So you can no longer just drive to the caves. You have to, everybody has to go to the visitor center, and that's where most of the interpretation takes place. Yes. So they've, they've replicated the caves, and so they have you know this really high-tech... Um, videos and all of this interactive, wonderful, wonderful interpretation material. And then they sh- you take a shuttle to the site. And so you can still see the caves, but you reduce the amount of time spent by one person in that caves by a lot. And so you basically just walk through so you can actually see it, but there's no, no one speaking to you. So there's not somebody talking. You know, that's another thing. You can't sit in those caves and talk and talk and talk. And it's allowed them to better manage the visitors, but to accommodate for those increased numbers. So these kinds of things are happening. And, and, and that's why I said before, it's like you look at these destinations and, 
and and the importance of visitor centers and museums and interpretation centers are going to be increasing because they're they're not only something interesting perhaps to see, but they're a very key in visitor management. You can bring people in there, capture them, hold them, and release them slowly into a site. And that's where the gift shop is. <laughs> that's where the gift shop is, and that's where you know again. It's all, you know, we're, budgets for conservation are not increasing, they're decreasing. So this is the reality. And then we have to, we have to get smart about that, too, and how we bring resources into the system. And, and tourism is an obvious, obvious area. So this isn't really, this, this is not an abstract concept. I mean, what you're talking about are actual best practices. So when you have these best practices, is it kind of like having, you know, your arsenal for convincing those who might not be as receptive initially? Yeah, that's exactly that, George. And I think we can't underestimate the value of that. And that's part of UNESCO's ethos. I mean, we promote best practice across the board, whether it's science, whether it's culture, it's um, because that's how you learn. And you learn from those experiences and sharing those experiences is very important because it's, you know, it may be a similar situation in my World Heritage Site or there may be something, you know, some aspect of it that you can learn from. So the basis of these tools that I mentioned before that we developed feature that good practice or, or it's hard to say best practice because we're, right. not, we're not really good sure practices, about it. Yes. But it's good and, and we often work with the sites to produce that good practice. So, you know, we're, we're actually doing it together. And I think that for me that's been very rewarding is to see them come together, solve some of these problems, and, um, and that usually is based on some, you know, understanding or seeing something that works someplace else. Have we ever seen uh, site managers from one uh, location, uh, in maybe in one country, go to see another, another location where we have these good practices to, to really see it in practice and, and bring those, those experiences back as well? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, again, that's something that, for instance, we were working in, in our, with our Jakarta office in a, a regional project. In Indonesia. In, in, in Indonesia, yes. Our, so there were, there were sites in the Philippines, sites in Indonesia, and sites in Malaysia that were part of this, and bringing them together and sharing that, that good practice was, was very important, and they're developing sustainable tourism strategies for those sites. We also have this very, I think, very exciting new project with, uh, with, that's been funded by the European Union, actually here in Europe, called the World Heritage Journeys of the European Union. And that, we brought together 34 sites, so 34 sites across 19 countries. And part of that capacity building, as we refer to it, really focused on, well, what are the others doing? What are the innovations in, in your site that can be applied? So we, in each one of the eight workshops that we had that associated with that, that was very much part of it, where they were sharing their own experiences and people were learning from, from that experience. It, it's critical. So for people who are listening to our conversation, if they wanted to find more information out about this, uh, this European trail, is that what it is? Yeah, they're, we're, we're creating these what, what we call thematic itineraries based on world heritage in Europe. Um, and this actually, this idea actually originated in the European Parliament. They're the ones that they hold the purse strings for the commission. Mm -hmm. And they thought UNESCO state parties, the, the countries of the, of the EU, weren't doing enough to leverage that brand, you know, because they, you know, the World Heritage brand is, I mean, it, it, it's very important, you know, for us, but it's also, it's important for tourism. I mean, because it does sell. The Japanese, they they plan their vacations based on World Heritage sites. Um, so the idea was not necessarily the Venices or the Florences of, of Europe, but more of the hidden gems, as we called them, and linking them thematically in a way, perhaps, that you wouldn't think before. So that one of the themes is underground Europe. And in that sense, we wanted to bring alive some of these sites that aren't necessarily 
the beauties of Europe. We always say that World Heritage is not a beauty contest. We have industrial sites. And it's that know-how that's why it's inscribed on the list. And so there are mining sites. There are coal slag heaps in, in northern France that are part of this. Because, again, as a visitor, that's an, it's an interesting place to see. Because and it tells of what a it story. Is. And it tells that important story. So this idea of, of, of itineraries or routes are what we're trying to do here with this project. And we're very excited about it. We're also very excited to be working with National Geographic on this partnership. They're, they're a key partner for this. They're the ones that have actually helped us develop this platform. And again, it's to inspire people. So if you look at how people travel, there's very, various stages. And the inspiration is when you're planning. And that's probably one of the most important ones. It's where you figure out where you're going, what you're going to see, how long you're going to stay. So this idea of inspiring travelers at that point is what this platform is intended to do. And it's, and it's not just giving information about the World Heritage Site, but it's, it's trying to bring alive the destination. And, you know, we're, we feature some, you know, some people telling their stories, you know, the, the local people and what, you know, what World Heritage means to them or some attractions that are curated by locals, you know, to really get that, that, that really authentic feel to it. So just, I guess, if I was to throw out something like World Heritage Journeys in the European Union, that might bring me to this site when it's, when yep. it's, when it's yes, on its way. Exactly. Okay. So, so there's, there's several ways you can get to it. One is called visiteuworldheritage.com, and the other is visitworldheritage.com. Both, both lead to that. Oh, okay, perfect. That's, uh, that's, that's good directions for anybody who, uh, who wants to find out more about, about what we're doing. Uh, with National Geographic and the European Union and these um, hidden gems in Europe, which sounds like uh, something to put on uh, the list for future travel, without a doubt. I'm, I'm interested also just to kind of touch on something that you're involved in that people might not generally connect with the issue of sustainable tourism, which has been the relationship between uh, world heritage and climate change. And if uh, memory serves me, last year was it uh, that we put out a very important uh, publication yes. on world heritage and tourism in a changing climate? And, and that came out of, out of your shop. Um, are we concerned? Um, we are. And, I mean, we're concerned about climate change impacts to world heritage across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, this report was was trying to put it in the context of tourism because many of these sites are iconic tourism destinations. And they do bring in, you know, quite literally billions of dollars of income. So the risk is, is, is quite significant in terms of climate because if we lose these places, you're not only losing the heritage, which is irreplaceable, but you're also losing um, an economic engine for many of these communities that will not exist if we don't start to reverse those those trends and decrease emissions and implement the Paris Agreement. I think most recently uh, there was an article um, in the New York Times. If, uh, again, I'm trying to kind of reflect back on my um, on my memory banks, go through the files on Easter Island. Yes, in fact, they they did a great feature on Easter Island that came from you know came from the research of our report. And again, this is this is the kind of thing that it, it really is important that we work with others and partners and journalists and you know the New York Times because again they're they're going to help us magnify these messages. And it's actually the first in a five part series, so they're going to be featuring other sites from that report. Well, you know, when you talk about the the, the various partners, we've we've spoken about uh, several of them. You know, because I'm thinking to myself, you know, so many visitors, so many sites, but only one Peter De Bruyne. 
So, <laughs> you clone myself. Yes, you might have to clone yourself. But in uh, short of cloning yourself, how does the World Tourism Organization fit into uh, into this effort in terms of promoting sustainable tourism? Mm, yeah, no, the the UNWTO is a key partner for us. Clearly, they're the our sister UN agency whose mandate is is tourism, and we work very closely with them. We, for instance, we've been for the past few years coming together to to host a, um, a major conference on culture and tourism. And that really is about building and strengthening that partnership between culture and tourism because it, we have to do that. We can't continue to work in these silos where, okay, if you're tourism, you do this. You're culture, you do this. It, it's so linked. And, and we understand that. And, again, if we're going to achieve our goals, we're going to have to directly engage with the tourism sector. And that's – and UNWTO represents that. All right, from the news you can use category, just give us an idea. If you had maybe three to five things to say to someone who's visiting a World Heritage Site, or more or less, whatever, what would be your key, your key advice to them? Well, I think the, the first thing I'd say is, is do your homework. Before you go, learn as much as you can about it. It's only going to enhance your experience. And look at what's there. Stay longer. You know, increase the time because, you know, some of these World Heritage Sites can easily go back two, three times and, and have a completely different experience, and especially if the site's big. So, again, it's this, it's this critical thing about understanding about the heritage, appreciating that heritage. When you're in the destination, staying longer, spending money in the communities, eating the different kinds of food, you know, really experiencing the culture, and talk to people. And we don't talk to people anymore. When we travel, we don't, you know, now with, again, I come back to the selfie thing. We can't, we don't even ask people to take our photo anymore because we have those selfies. It's, <laughs> it's, we're, we're losing that connection to those communities. And that's where I think the, if we can reestablish that and really make it that cross-cultural experience and where, where you have that dialogue with other people, and it's not just a waiter serving you food, but it's something more meaningful than that. And it takes time, and you have to plan. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me a bit of my childhood uh, growing up uh, and, and having the opportunity to spend some time in Greece um, at a very young age before even the uh, beginning of the World Heritage Process, the World Heritage Convention, going up to... Uh, the Parthenon with my uncle, and I was just a little kid, and uh, my interest was to chase the lizards and the cats. Um, uh, but but being up there, this became a place that was a part of who I became. It was ingrained, and I have a very distinct memory once of of being up there on a late uh, afternoon, and very few tourists. And my uncle found himself a shady spot on the temple itself got down, opened up the newspaper. I was running around just uh, having my, my time. And then at one point I looked up at him and the sun was setting mm -hmm. and coming through. It was behind, so he was backlit by this orange ball. And I was stopped in my tracks. And I remember distinctly having this moment where I said, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's a wow moment. And... And of course, these places too. I mean, thanks to my to my uncle as well. You know, he he made these places come alive. It wasn't just me going up there and and being a kid, but it was an opportunity for me to be to be put in a place where people had stood for centuries, yeah. and where some incredible things did happen, and some very important ideas were conceived. And so, these world heritage sites link us to our past. They 
orient us around our present, and I think they even illuminate our future. Mm, they do, in fact. Peter DeBrine, I can't thank you enough for being with us this afternoon, uh, sharing the experiences that you've had, uh, illuminating a very important program that is essentially there to ensure that we all have this opportunity to see these places, but not only ourselves, but our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren, mm. as the list goes on, that they'll be there uh, to, to tell the story of our humanity. And um, I think this is really important work and uh, certainly grateful to what you're doing. Thank thank you. you. No, thank you, George. Peter DeBruyne has been with UNESCO since 2011. He coordinates our World Heritage uh, Sustainable Tourism Program. And as you've heard, you know, it's, it's about conservation. It's about finding the benefits for communities and that intersection between economic development, uh, conservation, and national pride. Peter, thank you so much. And for those of you who have been with us for our podcast today, talking about culture, I'm George Papayanis, and uh, stay tuned. I'm sure we'll be doing uh, many more of these as, uh, as the months of this year, 2018, roll out for us. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.